Does prenatal exposure to antidepressants increase the risk of autism? There's been a lot of back and forth on this topic. And as you can imagine, it's been scaring women who are taking antidepressants and trying to get pregnant. It's also putting undue guilt on moms who have a child with autism that took an antidepressant during pregnancy, and they now think that they could have done something different to prevent their child's autism. The research has been back and forth. Epidemiological study, one after another, shows slightly different results. ASF has been posting these results on our website and also reporting them in podcasts. They seem to all point to an increased risk of autism after antidepressant use in pregnancy, but there's been a debate over why. Some studies have shown that it has nothing to do with the antidepressant treatment. In fact, it's due to a genetic link between an underlying need for an antidepressant, like for anxiety or depression. However, just a few weeks ago, a very large study came out that said that possibly a little bit of the effect was due to the drug itself. They found an increased risk of autism in those who were exposed to selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors during pregnancy, but this effect was only partially accounted for by a possible genetic effect of anxiety or depression on the mother. So some of the increased risk was because of the drug, but not all of the increased risk. When one of these studies came out, I think last year, I applauded these genome sequencing studies in helping to understand why there was a disparity in the findings or why the effects were not replicable across studies. I think there has to be some sort of gene-environment interaction going on, just like there has to be for pesticide exposure and autism risk. And I was thrilled to find out this week that a collaboration between University of Wisconsin and University of Washington investigated this possible interaction in a large study. But before I go into that, I want to say something about the use of antidepressants during pregnancy. Women who are taking them are not messing around. They're not doing it because it's fun or they don't really need it. If you need to take an antidepressant, you need to take it during pregnancy too. I have to tell you, risks of depression do not go down after you have a baby, and there are serious consequences of going off an antidepressant during pregnancy. Don't listen to the internet. Don't listen to your friends. If you're concerned, listen to your doctor. You and your doctor can come up with a plan based on what you need. And I also want to make sure everyone knows that by far, the risks of autism after antidepressant use are small. And most people who took antidepressants do not have a child with autism. And those that do have a child with autism, for the most part, do not take antidepressants. In this collaboration, led in part by SAB member Rafe Bernier, looked at about 3,000 families in the Simons Simplex collection, where the DNA has already been sequenced. One person in the family has autism, so they looked at autism severity rather than autism risk. But even though the question is different, I think the approach is still informative. In addition to giving DNA, families who participated in this study also reported things like medical history and drug use. A study looking at ultrasound exposure earlier this year used the same data set to examine a gene-environment interaction between genetics and ultrasounds. The study showed that those children with an LGD, an antidepressant exposure during pregnancy, had higher ASD severity scores on two different autism-related instruments. One was the ADOS and one was the ADIR. So, okay, what's an LGD? Good question. As autism is only associated with a single gene mutation in a small percentage of cases, most are associated with multiple genes. So the authors categorized people in this study as having a mutation associated with autism or not, yes or no. 
what was defined as an LGD or a likely gene disruption? Don't worry, the authors didn't make those decisions themselves. If they did, someone could argue that they may have affected the results. Specifically, they used a definition given by someone else in 2014. This definition is a de novo likely gene disruption mutation event are nonsense, splice site and frame shift mutations that compromise protein function and whose targets are enriched for functional categories, including FMRP associated genes, chromatin modifiers, neurotransmitter receptors, ion channels, synaptic proteins, cytoskeletal remodelers, and transcriptional regulators. In other words, these are genes that affect gene networks associated with autism. That part is kind of in the weeds, but I just want you to know here that this definition has been made, made by someone else, and now these genetic studies are being used to help define gene-environment interactions. I think that's pretty important. It's so important, I bolded and italicized this in my podcast script so I make sure to emphasize this. Because they didn't look at risk, they focused on severity, and this may not settle the issue of antidepressants and autism risk. However, it's notable that the effect was only found when antidepressants and gene mutations were examined together, which may be what will solve the discrepancy in the epidemiological studies. The challenge is the availability of these genetic samples in large epidemiological studies. Sometimes they're up to a million people. Because maternal depression by itself or antidepressant use by itself was not associated with autism severity, the scientists attribute it to the two-hit model, the genetic susceptibility followed by a trigger for symptoms. This two-hit model has explained depression, ironically, where in many cases there's a genetic susceptibility and then some sort of psychosocial hit that brings on the depression. The hit can be different for each person and sometimes it's brought on by hormones or say the death of someone. I'm oversimplifying depression, but it's certainly not as simple as someone being depressed because their parents had depression. Multiple risk factors lead to multiple forms of the disorder. Large-scale epidemiological research can still tell us more about risk, but research that is able to identify genetic underpinnings combined with environmental exposures, in other words, smaller studies, are just as important. I once heard Martha Herbert describe it as a bucket, which is an analogy I've stolen from her. For many people, the bucket is full with genetics. For others, environmental factors defined broadly are needed to fill the bucket to an autism diagnosis or increase severity. I think that most of the controversy is over what those factors are, and in most cases, the key to finding them is going to be understanding their interaction with genetics. This is so much easier said than done, and I want to give a huge shout out to the researchers at both University of W's for even taking this on. They're an elite club, and they know who they are. But before I end today's podcast, as long as we're talking about environmental exposures, I also want to point out a very important study that was in the media this week. PBDEs are the abbreviation for polybrominate diphenyl ethers. You don't need to know about the chemical name. You do have to know that PBDEs are flame retardants that are used in pretty much everything. I agree that nobody really wants to catch on fire, but these things are overused, not just in my opinion, in many people's opinion. They're not only flame retardants, they're endocrine disruptors. And because pregnant women are exposed through furniture, upholstery, some clothes, they make their way into the placenta and into the baby. So what effects do they have long-term on the infant and the child? 
A systematic review this week revealed that prenatal exposure to these PBDEs leads to a later reduction in IQ in the children. In fact, for every tenfold increase in PBDE levels in moms, the IQ of the kid went down almost four points. There was also evidence of an association with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Why am I mentioning this on an autism podcast? Well, PBTEs have been studied in autism and admittedly there hasn't been a huge effect and maybe the effect of PBDEs isn't specific to autism. Maybe it isn't huge by itself. Only until we understand genetic modifiers can we understand the role of these exposures on behavior and developmental outcome. In a few weeks, I'll be talking about one such outcome of pesticide exposure via epigenetic pathways. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening this week. Next week, we're going to have our amazing ASF intern, Sonia Agrawal, talk about resources for families who have an adolescent or adult on the autism spectrum.